Drive Time on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Zurich. When investment performance matters, make sure your savings are with Zurich. Visit zurich.ie to find out more. I say that one. Lynn, what's who, the weird who wonderful robs thing? hotel slippers? It, I mean, it wasn't who? even robbing, it was a whole collection, like oh. hundreds. So oh, wow. anytime this person went to a hotel, they brought home the slippers. Never to be worn. They were never yeah, yeah. to be worn. No, so they we were took just them out and we were the like, beds. they're going, right? And they were like, oh no, no they can't go. So, <laughs> okay. and so then we will Lynn, find you a place. Lynn has, what do you have in your drawers? Okay, out on radio. <laughs> I just confessed to this upstairs. <laughs> I may have like umbilical cords and some teeth, and I was like, I may look like a serial. Oh, I have killer. them. And she has you. I have them. And my stitches, weirdly. You know? I have the the umbilical cord, and I have yeah the teeth, and I have yeah, hair. Thank you. All in a tin. See, it's in a tin. That's like a serial killer now. <laughs> Oh, and your ticket stubs. I was listening on the way in. Well. I was like, "Oh, she's got it," but that's cool. Like that's. And I, I think that's where I think I that's worth saying. Them. When you come in, like you don't take everything out. God, it, no. yeah. It, yeah. it is about holding on to stuff, really, yeah. but and, but and letting go of a lot, but holding on to the stuff that's sentimental. Exactly, and, and finding a good place for, for it. it. So, like a lot of the times when we're in homes, you know, with memory boxes, especially like that with the kids' cords and all the rest of it, they'd be scattered all over the place. There'd be some in drawers and some in you know top of the wardrobes or whatever it may be. Creating a box, you know, for that. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. All right, girls, great to see you again. That's Kim and Lynn from Assorted Affair. Um, always lovely to catch up with you. That's all from me today. Stay tuned for Drive Time with Sarah and Cormac and I will be back tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. The Ray Darcy Show on RTE Radio 1. Drive Time on RTE Radio 1. Sponsored by Zurich. When investment performance matters, make sure your savings are with Zurich. Visit zurich.ie to find out more. Baltic Drive Time on today's programme. Minister Sean Fleming and Matt Carthy of Sinn Féin on the outcry in Drogheda over migrant accommodation. Trump to stand trial in New York in March. IDF says Hamas leader has been killed in Nasser Hospital in Gaza. Minister meets RTE DG as top executives under pressure over exit packages. Why exercise might be twice as effective at treating depression as pills. And Swiss rolls are out but gin is in. What does an Irish shopping basket look like in 2024? You're very welcome to the programme 51551, the CSO. How dare they, I say? How dare they take the Swiss roll out of the Irish uh, shopping basket? Anyway, they have done because they calculate uh, every few years the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, and they gather together what they say is an average uh, Irish shopping basket and it's designed to track inflation. It's really interesting as to what we are buying and what we're not buying. Keeping an ear out for this conversation. 51551 if you have a big red flag. Uh, if you have something in your shopping basket and you don't hear of it in our conversation with the CSO a little bit later on. And some of the stuff that's left out as well. My goodness, it is an outrage and I want to try Buno. Anyway, <laughs> have a listen a little bit later on for that. Also on the show today, we're going to be talking about some really interesting research. This is analysis of over 14,000 people with depression. And it found that people with depression, if they're taking antidepressants on their own, just taking antidepressants without uh, also including exercise and or therapy, that improved a person's symptoms by 26%. But the study found that just walking or jogging on its own without antidepressants or therapy improved a person's symptoms by 63%. We're going to be talking about this a little bit later on. Really interested in your own thoughts or experiences on this. You can text us to 51551 or you can tweet the programme at DriveTimeRT. Yeah, I'd love to hear the collective uh, experience on that one to 51551. We will begin though this afternoon uh, with the news that health officials have said
uh, that three suspected cases of measles, measles were uh, reported last week and are currently under examination. The suspected case invo- cases involve a boy and two girls, according to figures from the uh, Health Protection Surveillance Centre. One of the possible cases is in the east of the country and two are in the southeast. Uh, Dr. Thai Crowley is a GP in Kilkenny and chair of the IMO GP committee and is with me on the line now. Dr. Crowley, you're very welcome to Drive Time. Uh, what other information do we know of these uh, su- suspected cases of measles? Well, Cormac, I'm not sure of the individual cases, but um, measles is a, is a clinical presentation, so it's also a notifiable disease. So if someone presents to the GP with symptoms suggestive of measles and the GP is worried about measles, he will notify and then the, 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 the disease is investigated by the GP. The Department of Public Health then will look into the case and they will follow up on the investigations and then obviously close contact. So it takes a while for the results mm-hmm. of the swab test to come back to confirm one way or the other. How do we know then, uh, or w- would we know if these people were vaccinated or not? Well, I suppose that's that, that will follow on in due course in terms of the GP obviously takes a history um, public health will follow up and that becomes part of the history taking with public health as well. Okay, what would your p- advice to people be um, if they're concerned about this? So look, I, I suppose first of all if, if, if someone is sick, particularly children, uh, if they're sick it's important to uh, engage with their general practitioner in relation to illness. I suppose if you fall into a subgroup of people that haven't been vaccinated, and particularly if you have children that haven't been vaccinated, I, it's never too late to seek a vaccination. So it's worth contacting your GP and vaccination can be organised through, through that. Um, there's two groups, really. There's the, the group that just haven't received the two vaccinations when they were young. And then there's there's a, gr- a group of people that maybe aren't sure if they got a vaccination when they were younger. Um, but the, it's never too late to get a vaccine. In both cases, never too late. Yes, exactly. Okay. So if... You know, if, if if you're a parent and you decided for whatever reason that you weren't going to vaccinate, and we, we do know the the vaccination rates have dropped, um, you know, certainly in some counties they've dropped as low as 80%, but they've dropped below 90 We're trying to get it up to 95% for the herd immunity. So if you are one of those parents that for whatever reason uh, decided that you weren't going to get a vaccine, it's worth contacting your, mm-hmm. your, your own GP to, to organise a vaccine. What are the symptoms then? If people are listening and they, they even fear that they uh, might have some symptoms, they're not sure what they are. What are the symptoms of measles? Well, measles generally presents with a sort of an upper respiratory type il- illness. They present with a very specific rash. So it's the rash probably will highlight and certainly will worry most parents if a rash comes with, with, with any viral infection. It's a very specific type of rash. They also get a rash inside their mouth, but generally upper respiratory symptoms with a rash probably is the one that that, that piques people's interest or worry. And it's from there on then. And it's a very specific type of rash, uh, different to rashes that would normally occur with a viral infection. So I suppose if, if you if you have a child that's that's sick, first of all, and is presenting with a rash, it's, it's definitely important to seek medical help. OK, Dr. Uh, Ty Crowley, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Now, councillors in Drogheda will shortly hold an emergency meeting over plans to house 500 asylum seekers in the town's largest hotel. Fears are being expressed locally. The move could have a detrimental effect on the town's economy. However, the government insists it has no other option amid deepening difficulties in housing refugees and international applicants. Our reporter Barry Lenhan is in Drogheda and he joins us now. What's the scene there this evening, Barry? 
Well, widespread shock by the banks of the Boyne this evening, Sarah. I'm talking to you from the middle of Drogheda, West Street behind me, away to my right, and Drogheda's D Hotel, way out to my left, uh, by the banks of the Boyne, as I say. And shock at those proposals which emerged around this time yesterday for the hotel to accommodate five up to 500 international protection applicants in its 113 rooms from the 5th of March. The owners of the hotel entering in to a two-year contract with the Department of integration for those proposals. Now, the owners of the hotel releasing a statement earlier on today clarifying a number of issues and a number of points which have been reported around the hotel, saying that they purchased the hotel in October 2023, that the contract, as I say, was for two years, that the D Hotel was built 25 years ago and that the owners hope to reinvest the funds paid to them from the government directly into re renovating the property for the future and that jobs will be maintained in the bar and function rooms of the property. But still, as I say, Sarah, people digesting that news that the hotel, which many say is the town's only large hotel to accommodate what they hope will be a bustling tourism season in the weeks and months ahead. Only one other hotel in the town, which has 16 boutique rooms for visitors. Those I've spoke to across the town throughout the afternoon saying that they, as I say, that they are not happy with the proposal even though they have nothing uh, with the arrival of the 500 international protection applicants and that they say the Drogheda has had its own issues uh, over the past few months and years as well and that they hoped that tourism would help the economy thrive against those issues. Now, chatter on social media from elements outside the town of potential gatherings here over the weekend in relation to these proposals to house the international protection applicants in the D Hotel. No sign of trouble, protest gathering today and many people that I spoke to privately saying they're apprehensive of what may emerge over the weekend but those on the streets of Drogheda they have been giving me their reaction to these plans for the D Hotel. I mean there should, there should have been consultation with the community that's probably the most important but it's the main hotel in the town here and people need to be told you know it's fair it's fair for both sides and then people can be prepared for what's going to happen or what's coming and um, I don't think people necessarily don't want people to come I mean this is going to affect the community bad Our own local councils appear to be unaware until yesterday of what was happening I think the public in Drogheda are probably scared and maybe rightly so because they don't know what people are coming there was no consultation process nobody actually if they had a, had a forum or something where they invited people to come and speak or listen or whatever the case may be the people that's coming in obviously again i feel very very sorry for anyone who has to leave their own home we did it in ireland for years you looked at social media yeah, what did yeah. you see there well, I, i've seen um, certain elements uh, where they're advocating a stance based on lack of information or misinformation whatever it may be that Ireland are doing this and Ireland are doing the other but nobody really knows because there was no consultation so we don't know and they, as I say the fear would be that trouble may ensue because of probably misinformation I would say or lack of information and that's that's probably unfair to everybody. If there was consultation would you welcome the up to 500 international protection applicants who are due here next month? Uh, personally yes I would welcome them whether the D Hotel is the right place for these people I'm not sure certainly we'd have to take in people that, that's suffering and, and are stuck for places to live one of the first customers and I'm still a customer but I'm a bit shocked to hear what's happened and I, I mean there's no hotels left in the town which is very sad 
Is it your regular hotel? Yes, there is my regular. We've been treated very well over the years, sorry. Well over the years. I'm heading in now for a couple. My husband's waiting for me. And how often would you head there? Every day. Every day, nearly. Every day we go into it. What do you make of the proposals? I have nothing against the people coming in, really, but our own people, for years, were neglected. How, does it, how did they expect the town to accommodate all these people? Nothing against them, I know that. I'm not racist or anything, never was. But how did they expect the people to, um, the other town to accommodate all these people with... You know, doctors, schools, hospitals. A spokesperson for the hotel said the the bar and the function room will remain open so people can still use it. Is that enough for you? I'd have to wait and see. I can't give it what a common jet on there. I'd have to wait and see. It's doing very, it's doing a lot of harm to the tourists in this, in this country and the town. It's going to have a bad impact tourism-wise because it's the main hotel, but uh, Drogheda, as it stands, is being um, left behind by the Dundalk County Council. They don't invest in the town. All the money goes to Dundalk. So in the long run, um, they're just uh, hastening the demise of a once beautiful town. Do you think the uh, asylum seekers will be welcome when they move in? Into the D Hotel, not a chance. Why? It's just a general consensus, you know. We have to look after our own people before we look after anybody, not just asylum seekers. I've no problem with asylum seekers. Let them in, let them work. If it's for families, men, women and children, well, listen, us Irish, we're the greatest emigrations of all nations. So, Barry, what are businesses in Drogheda saying then? Privately, some businesses most upset and others admitting that it's a highly divisive issue. Publicly and officially this evening, the Drogheda Chamber of Commerce, its president, Hubert Murphy, uh, noting in a statement that any dilution of bed numbers in Drogheda uh, with the repurposing of this hotel is concerning for the town, its economy and its future, that the hotel has been a focal point of tourism and for a town to flourish, it needs all components, hotels, restaurants, easy access to work together and to lose one of those elements, they need to move quickly to fill that gap and that the chamber will be available to act to see what happens next. Finally then, that meeting due to kick off soon. Do we have any idea what's likely to happen? Yeah, that meeting uh, kicking off at around six o'clock. Politicians in Drogheda and also politicians in East Mead around Bettystown, Leytown, which have Drogheda as their primary nearest town. They're also waiting to see what might emerge from that meeting, which I say kicks off at six o'clock in private. It's said to be short. We could have a resolution out of it before the end of the programme. But before that, I've been taking the political temperature, starting with Labour councillor for Drogheda, Michelle Hall. I'm looking to see what uh, the opinions are of my fellow councillors. We haven't had a chance to chat yet, but as far as I can tell, we have a coordinated approach in that we will be looking to the Minister to reverse his decision to close the D Hotel to Drogheda. It's the only uh, large-scale hotel in Drogheda, the largest town in Ireland. We have the Comedy Festival coming up, and as always, we'd have the Drogheda Arts Festival, and then the Lou Festival of Light is a really big one we have around Halloween as well. Also, Emerald Park will be opening up soon, so we have a lot of people who would come to the D Hotel and stay at Emerald Park and then they come and they spend money in Drogheda. A spokesperson for the the hotel said on local radio earlier that it's not closing, Uh, the bar and function room will remain open. Do welcome that Um, but unfortunately we also need the bed space, that is the reality that if you don't have the bed space people will not stay and spend money in the town longer. Um, It has always been a problem in Drogheda that we have less bed space than North Loud. Really would like if they reconsidered and maybe opened up some of the hotel space, at least that 
we could accommodate some people. You want Roderick O'Gorman to reconsider. Uh, he told deputies for Laos yesterday that, that he won't. So what hope have you got going to this meeting then? Uh, what might come out of it? Well, I don't know if he understands the really strong sentiment from the business community and from councillors and from the people of Drogheda that they feel that they have been left behind, that we are almost being targeted. Already this week, Marks and Spencers are closing. It's, it's a huge impact in Drogheda. We are rising from the ashes from a drugs feud. Uh, we have worked together with so many different agencies to bring Drogheda back on track. And one of those things is tourism. We really do need this hotel. I don't think Roderick O'Gorman understands the severity of this decision. My name is Councillor Steve McKee and I'm the Cahirlock of the South Drogheda East Mead electoral area. The hotel is in Drogheda, but it serves obviously the wider area. So over the last number of years, we've been working hard to promote tourism in the area, particularly the development of the greenways. So the news that the D Hotel is going to close to tourism is a huge blow to the town and the wider area also that I represent and I would ask the, the Minister for Integ- Integration to reverse this decision as soon, soon as possible because it's going to have a huge impact not only on local tourism but also on jobs locally. We have huge numbers of people employed in the town in cafes, restaurants and this will have a huge knock-on effect on, on those jobs. When and how did you hear about plans for the D Hotel? So I, I received the news much like everyone else hugely disappointing to find out in, in that way. Um, it's hugely disappointing that there's been no consultation. What is consultation? Well, consultation is informing people of whatever plans there are and engaging with with the public to hear the views of public on this issue. What do you want the Minister to do now? Obviously, your your Fianna Fáil colleagues are are there with them at the Cabinet table in government. Can they bring pressure to bear here for you? This decision can be reversed and I think it should be reversed. So that's what the politicians had to say to you, Barry. Uh, Before that meeting, we might check in with you again before the end of the show for an update on exactly how that meeting goes. Home Instead Caregivers make a difference. Another storm is due to... Oh, another storm on the way, Nora. Mm. Now pop your blanket on, good and early. Home Instead, to us it's personal. Shop smart and feel good with great offers in your local Centra. Like Centra Fresh Irish Lamb Leg, 1.2 kilo, only 9 99 Regina Thirst Pockets Kitchen 4 Rolls, only €5. Euro. And Heineken 6 Cam Pack, only €10.18. Euro Centra. Live every day. Enjoy alcohol sensibly. At Screwfix, you can click and collect over 10,000 trade products in as little as one minute. So whether it's a power drill in Port Leash or guttering in Galway, when you need it yesterday, just click at screwfix.ie and collect at your local store seven days a week. Season C's apply. Visit screwfix.ie for full details. We're celebrating 30 years of the Kia Sportage. When it launched, it redefined its segment. The latest 30-year anniversary model features class-leading technology, dual 12-inch digital displays, leather seats and distinctive black edition styling. Join over 30,000 Irish customers and test drive the Sportage at your local Kia dealer. For more, see Kia.com. Kia. Movement that inspires. Drive Time on RT Radio 1 with Sarah McInerney and Cormac O'Hara. 
Minister for Media Catherine Martin has said she first heard about former RTE Chief uh, Financial Officer Brido Keefe's €450,000 exit package yesterday. Fine Gael TD Alan Dillon, a member of the Eretis Media Committee who uh, questioned RTE executives uh, yesterday, has now asked RTE to disclose details of all exit packages. For more on this, I'm joined by political correspondent for RTE, uh, Paul Cunningham. Paul, you're uh, welcome. Thanks for joining us. The Thornish and Michal Martin has said the exit package given to the ex-RTE uh, CFO, Breed O'Keefe, should be reassessed. Yes, he said that this was a matter of public concern and on that basis, the package which was given to her, and we now know that to be €450,000, should be reassessed to ensure that it complies with the rules for voluntary exit packages. And um, if it did not, then whatever amount of money above and beyond was given to Ms O'Keefe, then it should be, in his words, handed back. But we do know that the um, Minister for Media, Catherine Martin, had a phone conversation subsequent to that with the Director-General of RTE, Kevin Backhurst, and he gave her an absolute assurance and said he was absolutely confident that the Brito O'Keefe deal is compliant with the rules and so therefore there wouldn't be any um, you know, tax liabilities or anything like that would apply. And in reference to what the Fine Gael TD Alan Dillon was seeking, um, Mr Backers told the Minister that he was going to try and secure legal advice and this was now being sought to see if other people who'd received such packages that that information could be given to the Media Committee and no doubt the Public Accounts Committee as well. How far back will those exit packages or that timeline go, I wonder? Well, this is it. We we, we honestly don't know. I think um, the package which was interesting uh, or was focused uh, with regard to um, Brido O'Keefe related to 2017. So I think that would be the baseline and everything that came after that. OK. Um, is it likely that uh, other committees like PAC, for example, will have questions on foot of what they heard yesterday, Paul? Well, as we understand it, the Public Accounts Committee is trying to extend its remit because this has gone on much longer than people expected. And on that basis, we imagine it's going to... Um, be allowed to extend its remit from next week um, so that it can write its final report. One would imagine and I think you're absolutely right Cormac that they're going to want to hear from RT executives and RT board members given the revelations that took place in the media committee last night. I think the earliest that can happen is in around two weeks time and then after that I think that would probably be the final appearance by RT executives um, and by that stage both committees will retire to write the report. They've got an awful lot of work done one would imagine that once that final hearing happens, the report will be published maybe two or three weeks after that. Is there any certainty about the funding model or when that will be decided for the National Broadcaster? None. Um, the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar was in the Doyle and he said that this was an issue that this government was going to tackle and then he went through some of the issues that relate to whether it's central exchequer funding, whether you're going to have some form of a charge, whether you're going to try and get, say, media and tech companies to chip in, things like that. But basically what he said, it'll be in the coming weeks or coming months. What we've been told is that to a certain extent, um, the next month of March is going to be filled with two Oireachtas Committee reports two internal RT um, reports which are commissioned by the Minister and also RT's um, detailed strategic plan. So after that, the, the way it looks is as if, as if it's probably going to be May or June before we get that. Uh, can I ask you finally then, the uh, Director General Kevin Backer said that he's driving a process of change through the National Broadcaster at the moment. Is there a sense in Leinster House that, that the progress is being made uh, and uh, that these appearances at the, the various committees are helping? Um, well, 
<laughs> it depends who you talk to. So a number of people on the media committee, um, like Colin Burke from the Public Accounts Committee or from Senator Malcolm Byrne from um, Fianna Fáil on the media committee, they feel that RT has given an awful lot of information. We're reaching a point where now it looks as if we need to look to the future and those reports that are com- completed by the committees will help. But if you talk to someone like the independent Michael Collins, he was speaking with Colm O'Mungoyne um, last night on, on Late Debate and he said trying to get information out of RTs like pulling blood out of a turnip and he felt that this crisis was ongoing. From the government's point of view, I think they want to, um, they feel that these Rockless committees have been helpful in bringing out information, but in many cases, this is running on for eight or nine months now. We need to start looking forward. Okay, or the uh, political correspondent, Paul Cunningham, thank you very much indeed for that update. A story of badly behaved ghosts and a dangerous sea. This month, Landmark Productions and the Abbey Theatre present a thrilling world premiere by Marina Carr. Audrey or Sorrow is a shape-shifting, time-bending, supernaturally funny new play. Directed by Katrina McLaughlin with a stellar cast, Audrey or Sorrow is on the Abbey stage from February 23rd for a limited run. Tickets from €15 funded by the Arts Council. RTE supporting the arts. Supporting artists. Supporting us. The effects of personal debt problems often go beyond just financial. What we don't want to face can cause us to unravel. Stress eats at you, relationships unwind. It can feel like life's falling apart, but support is available. Get back on track with the Insolvency Service of Ireland, an independent organisation that helps untangle personal debt problems. See backontrack.ie. Supported by the Government of Ireland. That's the sound of time ticking. Time ticking on the Harvey Norman clearance event on furniture, beds and mattresses. For a limited time only, get incredible store-specific deals on X-Display end-of-line stock. Clearance deals on sofas and dining furniture with fabric sofas from just 499 Oak dining tables from only 549 Get up to 35% off big brand mattresses. Deals on clearance beds, bedroom furniture and so much more at the Harvey Norman clearance event on furniture, beds and mattresses. Don't miss out. RTE Radio 1 Escape to a whole new world with Disney's spectacular West End musical Aladdin Experience wonders you won't believe and magic you will never forget at Borgosh Energy Theatre Dublin from the 20th of March until the 14th of April Tickets available now BorgoshEnergyTheatre.ie Entertainment updates on RTE Radio 1 It's almost 5 o'clock on RTE Radio 1 with Dundeal Motors Ireland's largest online car showroom With trusted dealerships nationwide You're sure to find the car for you on Dundeal.ie Text 51551 Drive time on RTE Radio 1 New research from the United States claims daily routines and a bedtime story each night can boost children's brains. The study from Colorado University enrolled close to 100 children aged between 5 and 9 from a range of economic backgrounds and measured the structure of their brains while their parents were asked about the children's sleep patterns, daily routines, bedtime rituals and playtime schedule. Well, child psychologist Ashley O'Connor joins us now and you're very welcome, Ashley, to the programme. I suppose the big thing coming out of this study um, is that a daily routine is crucial. Hi, Sarah and Cormac. Thanks for having me on again. Yes, it is definitely um, very, very important. 
We know that routines, creating that connection, spending that time having the bedtime story um, and having a bit of playtime creates a felt sense of safety for a child. It's the predictability, the consistency, etc. And that then wires their brain to feel safe. And when you feel safe, you have a better night's sleep. So it has like a knock on effect. Just like an mm. adult, say, for example, when you're worried about something, you don't necessarily sleep so well. Whereas when you're feeling a bit more secure and safe in your world, you'll sleep better. Yeah. And this is not just about some sort of, uh, you know, woolly concept of safety. This is about actual brain development and, and, and researchers can see the difference in children's brains. Yes, 100%. So we know as well from other research before that when they did MRI studies on children, say, in orphanages who where there was not a, sorry, a lot of neglect, they could see that their brain, the physical structure of their brain in parts were way smaller than a child who hadn't gone through that neglect. So mm. it's kind of the flip side of that now. We can see from the MRI studies that the brain in different parts is actually larger. And so kids are having better outcomes in school, better behaviours, etc. It has a knock-on effect for their life. My goodness, it's fascinating, Ashley, mm-hmm. isn't it? Uh, it is. Really, does it, does it matter, Ashley, what the routine is, or just that there is no. a routine? I think it's more important that there is some kind of consistency and some kind of routine. So, if you've got kids, say for example, that are, you know, maybe on screens really late and they're going to bed at different times every night and they're having like six to seven hours sleep, yeah. that's that's not great, going to be so helpful. Whereas if they could just try and get them into some kind of a routine that there's a general rough, you know, idea that they go to bed at eight between an eight and nine maybe mm. for example or that they know that every day when they come home that there's a little check-in so there's a bit of a routine that we sit down together once a week and maybe we have a family dinner yeah. those little routines like been realistic everybody's so busy but those little small things can make a massive impact i'm glad that it doesn't have to be too elaborate but i remember when we had our first kid um you read these books and they say, oh, make sure you have a bath. Oh, yeah. Give the baby yeah. a bath and light the candles yeah. and read the books <laughs> and play the soft music. I remember Wait, thinking, you oh be my doing all God. I mean, yeah. oh my God. So much pressure. Like really and truly, a bath every day for the baby. Yeah. No, we said no. no. Uh, we gave him no everything way. else. So, but, so the, the thing about it is, it's very funny, isn't it? Um, as long as there's, there's love and consistency and comfort, the baby yeah, will thrive so, as a message, isn't that right? 100%. So a child, their greatest need is attachment. And if they feel safe in relationship, and they only need one caregiver to give them this for them to be okay. But if they feel that, and they can be like fleeting moments throughout the day of connection, like, you know, you might put a little tiny love heart in your child's lunchbox. Or you might spend like five minutes with them when they come in the door hearing about their day. Those moments of connection, along with a little bit of a routine at night, um, will make all the difference for that child going to bed going, OK, I feel safe in the world. I mm. feel loved. I can fall off to sleep, etc. Yeah. So then on the flip side of that again, um, yes. how disruptive is it if the routine is disrupted? Uh, like, for example, things are running very late, so there's no time for a story tonight. Yeah. So again, one-off isn't going to make a difference. It's the general feeling. Like if you think about, to answer that question, Sarah, if you think about school holidays, what happens when we have school holidays? Our kids' behaviour changes so much, right? Very often you'll see big escalation in behaviours, etc. Because we're all out of routine. So you will have little moments where, yes, it's going to go a little bit off. But in general, as long as there's just a a, a low-lying kind of consistency, there's not going to be an issue. It's just that when there's no routine, we okay. know that we can make improvements. And I know Cormac's given out about the books, which I understand, like, <laughs> and, and all the books say different the things bath. as well, which the is, bath. you know, it can be very confusing, a lot of pressure. But, you know, 
you, you don't necessarily know these things naturally, do you? Like nobody's you given you liter- a handbook unless you go buy the handbook. You, you don't like have a hardwired what to do right for your child necessarily. A hundred percent. Nobody does, right? And what's really important here to remember is that when you're a child, or, or sorry, if you're a parent and you want your child to learn something, the way you, the best way we can teach them something is to model it for them. Okay. Mm. So if you're a parent and it's never been modelled to you. You've never sat on the floor and played with your parent. Or if your parent has never had a routine at night time for whatever reasons, then it's going to be hard for you to know this stuff. Mm. It's okay. much more difficult. It doesn't just come naturally. Time for okay, bed so now. You, you Daddy's going to look at the phone again. Daddy's going to stroll to the phone again. Actually, it's a pleasure to speak to you as always. And thank you so much for joining us. Really interested to hear from our listeners on this to 51551. Ashling O'Connor, thank you very much. Now it's uh, five o'clock. Still to come on today's drive time. Outcry and Drada over plans to turn a hotel into migrant accommodation. We'll speak with Minister Sean Fleming and Sinn Féin's Matt Carthy. Israel raids another hospital in Gaza while Netanyahu vows to push ahead with Rafa ground invasion. Russian plans to fire a nuclear weapon into space. Swiss roads are out, but gin is in. What does an Irish shopping basket look like in 2024? And we'll have lots, lots more between now and seven. First, so the news, Shane McGowan. Good evening. The United Nations aid chief Martin Griffiths has said the notion that people in Gaza could evacuate to a safe place was an illusion. Mr Griffiths' comments came as Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu vowed to push ahead with a ground offensive in Rafah after a civilian evacuation of the hugely crowded city. Hezbollah has warned that Israel would pay the price for killing 10 people, including five children in southern Lebanon. Here's Fiona Mitchell of our Foreign Desk. As fears grow about an imminent Israeli ground invasion in the Gazan city of Rafah, tensions in the wider region intensified today as Lebanon endured its deadliest day for civilian deaths since this war began five months ago. Ten civilians, including five children, were killed in southern Lebanon as the UN called for a halt to what it termed a dangerous escalation of the conflict. Israel said it had killed a senior commander in Hezbollah, the Iran-backed militant group, while Hezbollah said Israel would pay the price for the deaths. Earlier, Israeli forces said they had raided the biggest functioning hospital in Gaza as footage showed chaos, shouting and gunfire in corridors filled with dust and smoke at Nasser Hospital in Han Yunus. Israel called the raid on the hospital precise and limited and said it was based on information that Hamas militants were hiding there and had kept hostages in the facility. Freddie Thompson has appeared in court in Leash charged with threatening to kill and assault causing harm at Port Leash Prison. He was remanded in custody to appear again in two weeks' time. Here's our Midlands correspondent, Gail Conway. Frederick Thompson, with an address given as care of Midlands Prison, arrived at Portlaoise Courthouse dressed in a pale blue tracksuit and light grey jacket. Detective Garda Porrick Ryan from Portlaoise Garda Station said that when cautioned, Frederick Thompson made no reply to the charge sheet. The court sergeant told the court that the DPP has directed three charges, two counts of threatening to kill under Section 5 of the Non-Fatal Offences Act and one count of assault causing harm under Section 3 of the same Act. Detective Ryan made an application to remand Thompson in custody until the 14th of March for the book of evidence to be served. Representing himself, Thompson requested a two-week remand if possible instead. 
Judge Andrew Cody granted the request for a two-week remand, saying he is in custody at present and gave him bail on his own bond of €100. Euro. Frederick Thompson was remanded in custody to appear again for the Book of Evidence on Wednesday 28th of February at 10.15am. Gail Conway, RTE News, Portlaoise. The Minister for Media, Catherine Martin, has said she has been assured by RTE's Director-General, Kevin Backhurst, that the €450,000 exit package for the former RTE Chief Financial Officer, Rita O'Keefe, was compliant with the rules and does not need to be reassessed. Following discussions today, Minister Martin said Mr Backhurst was absolutely confident that the method of calculation for the lump sum payment to Ms O'Keefe was in compliance with the terms of the 2017 Voluntary Exit Scheme. It's understood Mr Mr Backhurst is to seek updated legal advice to see whether details can be made public of other exit payments, including to the former RTE Director of Strategy, Rory Coveney. At Dublin Circuit Criminal Court, a man who attacked and robbed a visually impaired man and hours later was involved in a separate aggravated burglary of the home of an elderly widower has been sentenced to 10 years in jail with 18 months suspended. 48-year-old Derek Bewley, who was living in a tent at the time of his arrest, pleaded guilty to the offences. The court heard he had 79 previous offences. The annual rate of increase in consumer prices slowed further last month, according to new data from the Central Statistics Office. Inflation in the 12 months to January was 4.1%, down from 4.6% in December. The CSO has also adjusted the basket of goods and services used to measure inflation for the first time in eight years. Our business editor, Will Goodbody. This new data from the CSO shows that for the third consecutive month, inflation in January was lower than 5%. Overall, prices in the year to the end of January rose by 4.1%, down from 4.6% in December, while month-on-month prices actually fell by 1.3%. The biggest annual price increases were recorded in the sectors of recreation and culture and restaurants and hotels, with clothing and footwear the only division to show a decrease in costs. Also today, the CSO revised the makeup of the basket of goods and services used to measure inflation, a process it goes through every few years to account for changing consumer preferences. Among the items coming in are air fryers, gin, disposable vapes, milk and meat substitutes, non-alcoholic beer, wireless speakers and headphones, smartwatches and delivery charges. But gone are landline telephones, Swiss rolls, digital cameras, admission fees to nightclubs, play school fees, rail catering, e-readers, MP4 players and photo printing. RTE Radio 1 Weather with Grant. Take home heating efficiency to new levels with Grant's air-to-water heat pump and underfloor heating. Visit grant.ie. Clear spells increasing from the west this evening and early tonight, but isolated showers will persist. It'll turn cloudier again overnight with more frequent showers moving in from the west. Lowest temperatures, 4 to 9 degrees, coolest in the northeast. In light to moderate southwesterly winds, fresher in the southwest. RTE Radio 1 Traffic and Travel with Hyundai, home of Ireland's best-selling electric car in January 2024. The all-new Kona Electric, based on the latest published monthly figures. 
I'm Orla Woods and here's your latest traffic and travel news. Starting with the Tume Road in Galway, there's a delay just before the Joyce Roundabout heading towards Bohan the Drave. Cork's N40 eastbound is slow from Junction 10 Mahan towards the Jackland Tunnel. And there's a very heavy delay in Wicklow. The main street in Bray has just been closed off due to an incident. And the 45A, the 184 and 185 buses are all affected and running with delay. So do make sure to double check your TFI live app. August Air Dera in Dublin, the M50 northbound is busiest between Junction 12, Fur House and Junction 9, Red Cow. That's your latest traffic and travel news. Orla, thank you very much for that. Now, the largest hotel in Drogheda is to be converted into a centre for asylum seekers. The local authority is seeking a meeting with the Minister for Integration, Roderick O'Gorman, to request his intervention, as we heard a little earlier on from our reporter, Barry Lenehan, and councillors in this area will shortly hold an emergency meeting over the plans. For more on all of this, Minister of State for International Development and Diaspora, Sean Fleming, and Sinn Féin spokesperson on Foreign Affairs, McCarthy, joins us now, and you're both very welcome to the programme. Uh, Minister Sean Fleming, I'll come to yourself first and I wonder do you accept the the claims from local politicians that there was simply no consultation at all in this case? Well what I understand the actual position is that yesterday local um, elected representatives would have received information in relation to the proposal which is expected to come into effect in three weeks time on the 5th of March so there's a three week period for the communications and discussions and clarification between now and then if they were moving in the day after the people got the notice that would be absolutely correct but there's a three week timetable between when the notification was given to local public representatives representative and the start date for this facility to be used for this but that, that's communication I don't accept there'll be no period uh, to allow for communications um, on this matter there's a three yeah. week period started yesterday Okay, so sorry, I, I'm not asking was there communication, I'm asking was there consultation. Do you think what happened no, yesterday represents consultation with the local community? I'm saying what happened yesterday was the first information note and there's a three-week period now and I think there's a period, um, the decision will have been made. The most important thing I think for any town that's losing such a very prominent hotel and we've seen it in other areas, the owners have given the commitment that this hotel, which people rely on up there for social functions, family events, that the function rooms and the bars will continue to remain open. So what this is, there will be accommodation. The bedrooms will be occupied, some of the areas for their food and accommodation, but the function rooms that the people who are used to using for events and dinner dances and everything like that, Mm. family events, will continue to be open. So I understand the premises is big enough for both purposes. Yeah, but the whole problem, of course, what the locals are saying um, is that the accommodation aspect of the hotel will be gone. Uh, there was yes. no consultation, is what they're saying. They have been presented with this as a fait accompli yesterday. And yes. they're saying this is going to have a huge knock-on effect on the local economy in the town for well, big events, we'll for start, flags. We'll start with that point. Because the, the rooms are going to be uh, full now with people who are residing there full-time, because the bars and the function rooms and everything are going to remain open, I understand the only has given an absolute commitment that all jobs are being retained so there's no loss of employment and in fact there could be an increase in employment and I do understand there won't be people staying in the hotel as a tourist uh, yeah. from a tourist so, point so that is the but point will, though isn't it Minister it's, it's not employment specifically in the hotel although there was a concern over that and as you say that has been clarified today the employment of the people working in the hotel will, 
be maintained. But what local politicians and local businesses are saying they're worried about is the local economy, the people going to the cafes and the restaurants outside the hotel who might be coming to Drogheda for big events um, or as part of the various tourism plans that Drogheda have been working on, they say very hard. They now have nowhere to stay. Yeah, and there is a reduction in accommodation for tourists because the rooms are going to be uh, provided for the people. The families, I stress it, the families and children. And I think, you know, um, we have reached a better situation here than in other places when a lot of the hotel is still available for people who are coming. But yes, the bedrooms are going to be used for that purpose. All right, McCarthy, what do you think of this? I just find it hard to believe that uh, Fianna Fáil Minister is actually defending what has happened in Drogheda and what has been happening increasingly uh, across the state whereby there was no communication, there was no engagement, there certainly was no consultation. What happened was that local elected representatives were informed of a development after the contract had been signed, a development that will have huge implications for the local economy, huge implications for local services and is clearly going to um, create challenges for the local community who, like most Irish communities, I'm sure, um, want to be welcoming to those who are coming to our country in search of international Mm. protection, but who have found themselves at the front line of community disillusionment because of what has been diabolical approach to planning. So what I have always said is that prior to contracts being signed, that that is the time to have engagements. And I've seen this work well, by the way, Sarah, in the past. Previously, my own community in County Monaghan has dealt with resettlement programmes, with refugee accommodation and programmes with emergency accommodation for international protection applicants. And in each of those instances previously, and I'm talking a decade ago at this stage, there would have been an engagement of stakeholders well in advance, where all service providers were the HSE, local schools, the local authority where local elected representatives would actually be informed of what the plan was, would set out their concerns if there were any, the proposals in order to make sure that that those who were coming to our community could be accommodated um, in in, in an an appropriate way and to ensure that the community, the existing community wasn't wasn't expected to bear the burden. What we have had now instead is government dealing directly with a very small number of private operators who, let's face it, are making an absolute fortune on the back of the way the government are handling this and then local community... They're entitled to make business decisions for themselves. So be it, but government aren't entitled to um, engage with them, arrange and agree a contract with them that will have huge implications for the local economy, for local communities, and then tell those local communities and those people who are involved in the local economy after the deal has been done. Sean Fleming? Yeah, and ultimately the long-term answer for this, if the numbers continue to come as they have been in recent years, is that we would have state-owned accommodation Mm. facilities available and there are ongoing discussions and reports will be going to Cabinet in the coming weeks on trying to identify... No, I I understand that, Okay, I do understand that and we've heard about that, right? But we've also heard now, I mean, people are blue in the face saying it, aren't they, Jean Fleming, for the last 12 months? Consultation, consultation, consultation. No, I'm not talking about the long term. I'm talking about for the last 12 months, people are talking about, please consult with the local communities, talk to people, let them know what's going on. Don't let them get their information from social media. Don't leave them in an information vacuum. And yet it seems to have happened again in this instance. 
I, I, I get that point, but there's a difference as what happened here. And the only point is it's almost three weeks before this is going to happen. And no, but the whole point is that this is a fait accompli. No, no. So that's not consultation, that's communication. So there is a difference now. Consultation no, would there, allow there will, people to have feedback issues, on, on, all, on the situation, the, wouldn't it? The issues that you're referring to there in terms of facilities, how the people will be able to get to school, if education, teaching English, medical um, access to medical facilities. That's what the next two and a half weeks are about, arranging all those things. Given that they are coming, there's no getting away from the fact that they are coming. And now uh, what's best is for people to negotiate and discuss how best this can work now, um, given that part of the hotel is going to remain open except for the bedrooms uh, for people in the and area. And what do you say, as a former business minister, to the local businesses in the area? Yeah, well, the, the first thing, and I know you did dismiss it, all jobs are going to be retained there, and that's important, and it shouldn't be ignored. I didn't and dismiss secondly, it. I made the point that businesses are making, which is that one of their primary concerns is tourism. Yes, and definitely there is going to be a shortage of bedrooms in that area. Mm. So and what do you say to the local businesses? So, so what I would say, there, there might be facilities immediately in the area, but there are other hotels in the region, and um, I, I do believe in the Louth area there will be sufficient beds for the tourists in the area, notwithstanding these hotel Where? beds are taken out. But you know that there's lots of... Uh, Mass is closer to... I've been in various hotels in in, um, in, in Nout over a period of time in my work. Well, and this is I the biggest hotel in Drogheda. Drogheda feel that they're in competition with Dundalk for local tourism and, and for people coming to them. They say they've put in place a big tourism plan to try and build up the town. Is it not a responsibility of government before they make a decision to take a big uh, f- function place like a hotel, a, a big area like a hotel, out of a town? Is it not the responsibility of government to look at the economic impact on the town? It is, and as I have said... And did government do that in this instance? No, there will be an impact in terms of beds. And what is important here, which we haven't had... I've, I have four locations in Niche where the hotels years ago were closed and no longer function. Here we're still going to have a functioning area for all the local activities that would normally go on into function rooms in that hotel, notwithstanding the issue and accepting the issue that the bedrooms won't be there. But I'm hopeful that um, with tourism promotion there will be enough beds in the general region, but not in this particular hotel. OK, and, and you're just hopeful on that on the basis of a, of a, a vague sense that there's probably beds elsewhere, is that it? Or do you, do you have any you, figures for me? You've just highlighted yourself that there's actually competition in County now. You highlighted that. So yeah. that's Means. That's, that's what the local of, businesses in Drogheda are concerned not, about. That's, this, that's the point. This is a, big, this is a big hotel, but based on what you've said, that there's lots of competition between areas in County Louth to attract uh, tourists to stay overnight. That implies there are lots of facilities in the general area. But Sorry, Sean, I, I, I don't think you understand the point. The point is the people in Drogheda, the local businesses in Drogheda, are concerned that there's going to be nowhere for tourists to stay in the town, so tourists will go elsewhere, like, for example, to Dundalk. Yes, and, and, and nobody is saying that those bedrooms uh, will be available for tourists. They are gone. Yeah. And, uh, so the, what, my yeah, question then again is, does government have any responsibility when making a decision like this to assess the economic impact on the town? And if it does have that responsibility, did it do it in this instance? Yeah, what I'm saying is, and I'm saying it now for the third time, there was a big improvement in affecting the economy and facilities for people in the area by maintaining, in this case, that all the function rooms that people would normally use who live 
seven days a week all year in the area to continue to have those facilities. And that's okay. a big improvement from other locations. So there has right. been a step. All right. I want to, I want to, okay, as you say, it's the third time. Um, I want to bring McCarthy back in on this. And McCarthy, we heard from the owners of the hotel. They're very clear on what they're doing here. They, the hotel needs renovation. And this is a plan for them to uh, contract to government for two years and use that money to reinvest in the hotel and have it as a big facility for the town for the next 25 years. Due respect to the owners, they probably considered that they've hit the jackpot. There's plenty of hotels right across the state that are struggling, that are finding it difficult um, and have been crying out to government for assistance. I think it is scandalous that the the, the easiest way to resolve their issues that is presented to them is to actually stop being a hotel. Local communities do need hotel accommodation. Yeah. There's a reason why every town okay, um, would say, have had a hotel you're, you're accommodation. Right? I know. Okay, just say, yeah. just say you're, you're in Roger Gorman's place here and you have a crisis on your hands whereby you have uh, in, incoming migration. Every week you're getting hundreds of people coming into this country and you have nowhere to put them. And a hotel owner puts up his hand and says, look, you can have my place for the next two years. What I am do you saying say no? is, no, what I I'm saying is the approach of Roderick O'Gorman and Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael to this is actually making it more difficult to resolve this issue because there is of course locations across the state that would be suitable and are suitable for this purpose. The difficulty is that the only criteria that has been laid down by government is the availability of a building. No consideration is given to the existing number of international protection applicants that are already in a community. No consideration is given to the level of services. No consideration is given to the economic impact that the particular building would have and rather than actually setting out a, but, but, a, an but approach on. that do, is do, led do, do, by okay. private operators who as I say are making a huge right. amount of money they, what I would argue okay, the government I, need to do is to start from actually putting in a plan system because if we're going to have an asylum okay, system okay. then what? Can I, can I just ask you finally on this then say government did put in a, a plan whereby they looked at the economic impact and they looked at the number of migrants already in the community um, and they looked at the services available it's entirely likely isn't it that no no matter where they looked, there would be problems on each of those three criteria. There would be problems. There'd be pressure points. There so they be. have to find somewhere still. So if this is going to work, then we have to have a system that is seen to be fair, efficient and enforced. That's the only way a migration and an asylum process will have the, will work for those people who are seeking international protection and work for local communities. The difficulty we have is that the government's approach is not seen to be fair and not only that, it is not fair um, because it is putting the emphasis entirely on private operators to c- come in to communities, get an opportunity to make um, a lot of money when okay. no consideration is given for the other oh, elements Sh- that are uh, crucially Sh- important Sh- in order to ensure that this system works. What is happening at the moment is that there are probably business operators all, all over right. the country that might have suitable businesses. They're staying 100 miles away from Roderick O'Gorman's um, department because they've seen the debacle that they've created in other communities. All right. All right. Well, it's, it's up to each business owner to make a decision based, based on what they think is best for their business. Um, Sean Fleming, do you, I don't know, do you want to briefly respond to that and I want, I want to I ask do, you if, about that. Go on And ahead. I want people to actually play back and listen to what Matt has just said. It's the biggest act of hypocrisy I ever heard. He is given out about private owners but then he saying there's other private hotels somewhere else that they should go to other well, private owners. So he's not in this private owner. He actually said they can go to private owners. You clearly don't understand a single thing about this subject, Sean. Matt, I'm saying to you, you have said there's other hotels that could go to but not this one. So you name the ones that can go to instead of saying there's some other hotel. You object to the next one the same as you're objecting to this one. So don't tell us there's other hotels Sean, that they can go to. Sarah, I have you to 
name them that. and we look at them. You that, name them and we look at them. What I have said is that there are other businesses. I said there are other business operators that might have yeah, more suitable property, including vacant, including, including vacant property. But what I am saying is, what I am saying, and this is important. What I am saying is, this cannot be led by the whim of private operators. This has to be led and planned and by government. The government. And the is, core is problem here is that government do not have a plan. Accommodation. Okay. And you will probably object to that too. All right, I just want to ask you just very finally, Sean Fleming, on, on a, a separate topic. The Thought they announced today that Israel um, yeah. is carrying out. Well, this is part of 20 million euro in funding that Ireland has yeah. announced for UNRWA. But as part of that, the Thought that Michal Martin said Israel is carrying out a disinformation campaign against UNRWA. I just wonder yeah. what evidence the Thought that has for that. Well, what, what's most important, and this all goes back to the funding issue, which we announced this morning, and the Tarnished announced that when um, um, the uh, chief executive was here in town, because other countries have announced that they're cutting or suspending funding. We were the first to ask other countries not to do that, because there's only one people who will suffer, that's the women and children in yeah. the Gaza, and we want to help them. That's our first priority. It's clear. It's clear. We heard all about the massive tunnels, you know, when they moved in there a while ago, and we've just seen a few little manholes. Of course there's exaggeration on the Israeli side, and that's an absolute fact if people want to see that. Okay. Okay, well, we might, we might look into that in a little more detail on another occasion. We'll have to leave it there for the moment, and thank you both for joining us. That's Sean Fleming and McCarthy. Connection. It's at the heart of everything we do. And at 3Business, connection starts by getting to know your business, the ins and outs and ups and downs, so we can really bring your connections to life. Because every part of every business is connected. So you need a reliable team of dedicated experts to keep everything, well, connected. Experts who have won the Best Customer Experience Award three years running. It's why so many businesses, big and small, choose three to really bring their connections to life. Discover how we can help your business at 3.ie forward slash business. Best customer experience at the Irish Customer Contact and Shared Services Awards 2023. In this week's RTE Guide, Home of the Year's Hugh Wallace on life challenges, personal growth and positivity. Donald Gleeson and Andrea Riseborough on their new series, Alison Jack, debuting this week on RTE. Plus our home and interiors feature for perfect paint decor and eco-chic homewares. Everything and more. RTE Guide, on sale now. It's not just that Sarah can't rely on the rains to come this year. It's not just that the only water left could cost her her life. It's not just that she has seen all her crops destroyed and she is struggling to feed her little boy. Like thousands of parents living in regions devastated by drought, Sarah is living in fear, and it's not just. This Lent, your help can make all the difference. Visit trocra.org or call 1-800-408-408. Trocra. Together for a just world. RTE Radio 1. The wait is over. ACDC's back live Power Up Tour Saturday August 17th Crow Park Subject to license Tickets available this Friday at 9am ACDC live at Crow Park Music updates on RTE Radio 1 Drive Time on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Zurich. A regular savings habit can make the difference in achieving your goals. Talk to a financial broker and start your savings plan. Tweet at Drive Time RTE.
You're welcome back. The CSO has changed the list of items it uses to calculate the Consumer Price Index, which is designed, as you know, to track inflation by analysing what Irish consumers are spending money on. The list is referred to the basket of goods and watching how it changes gives some pretty uh, interesting insights into how Irish society has evolved over the years. Uh, I... Just before I came on air, I spoke with Anthony Dawson, who's statistician in the consumer price index area of the CSO. And I began by asking him what the Irish shopping basket is like in 2024. So I suppose some of the the interesting items that we've added to the basket um, in 2024 is, say, for example, air fryers, uh, smartwatches, wireless speakers and headphones. They kind of show the, the technology changes that have come in. And then in in terms of what we're eating and drinking, uh, milk and meat substitutes and spring onions is another one that we've added in, spring as well onions. as ribeye steaks. My God. And why would spring onions make it this year, do you think? Uh, it's just something that we have found when analysing the, the household budget survey data. So that's um, data collected by the CSO, which tracks uh, spending habits in households around Ireland. And it's just one of these, the things that we found was that people seem to be buying more spring onions. So it's, it's something we... Felt deserved to be in the basket. <laughs> really, yeah. You said air fryers are in the basket in 2024. Uh, is there any explanation for that? Again, it, this this comes down to what we've seen in the household budget survey data. I mean, it's a it's a real treasure trove of, of information for us to use, and it's just we we saw that air fryers were were definitely being purchased by a lot of households that were in this survey. Yeah. So again, we just decided it, it's one that we needed to add in. Okay, and milk substitutes, you say, and non-alcoholic beer. Is that because, I wonder, um, people are, are becoming more health conscious? It's definitely, it, uh, the, the basket of goods kind of shows uh, a social history of our spending, really. And, you know, we've seen it across time, and this is no, no change. That I, I don't know if it's definitely down to health, health consciousness hmm. to say that, but it's something we saw again in the data was milk and milk substitutes and the non-alcoholic beer was, was definitely becoming more pre- prevalent. And again, we felt it deserved to go into the basket. Okay, but on the other side of it then, yeah, you've put gin back in the basket again. We have, yeah. Gin was gin was out of the basket in two thousand and one, but uh, we've seen it. It's you, you, I like I, you don't need data to tell you it's a, it's become very popular. So, you know, we don't just base it off of um, the household budget survey, although that does provide a lot of the in- information. We also have prices uh, that go out into shops around Ireland who feedback, you know, these things are getting popular, these things aren't getting popular. And also we do our own research in the office. Is that how you do it? Okay, so you've got uh, almost spies everywhere <laughs> telling telling you what people are buying. But I've been reading that you've put um, the price of a bottle of gin uh, into the basket and not the, the as, it, as it used to be in 1970-something, the, the cost of a gin and tonic in a, in a pub. Is that correct? Yeah, so we now we collect um, we collect the seventy cl bottle um, from the off licenses, and then we collect a, a single measure from the, from a bar or you know restaurant or pub or something like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we don't it, we don't have the mix like they used to. I think that it shows kind of what the times were like back in the nineteen seventies, where it, it used to be a, a gin and tonic bought in the lounge yeah. rather than in the the bar. Yeah, the poor old Swiss Swiss roll is out. Yeah, the Swiss roll is gone. Um, it's just we were, it was one of the feedbacks we got from our prices was they were struggling to find Swiss rolls in shops, yeah. and you know th- that's fed into a few other things such as uh, admission fees into nightclubs, uh, MP4 players, and digital cameras. Again, that shows the change in technology. Everyone uses their phones these days for those th- type of things. So people, it's not that people have stopped taking photos; they just use their phone. Okay, uh, and uh, so so an awful lot of people who may buy Swiss rolls would say uh, for to pick that one. 
why is that gone? I wonder. It's a, it's a handy old um, birthday cake, and I can tell you. Anyway, e-cigarettes is on as well. Yeah, we collected um, e-cigarettes and refill- refillable e-cigarettes previously. That was added to the basket in 2016. But again, it's something that we kind of saw ourselves was that uh, these disposable e-cigarettes, uh, they're what we've added to the basket now to complement the the refillable ones as well. Mm. So it's just it just shows the the, ch- the change in how people consume tobacco goods, I suppose. Yeah. Can you tell me um, a little bit about how you do this? You, you you mentioned that you have pricers that go out to shops and so on. How do you put a basket together? So what we do is, as I say, we have pricers that go out into shops and they, they collect they collect prices of, um, of groceries out in the shops as well as other services. But we also have other data sources that, as I say, I mentioned earlier, we have the, the household budget survey, which is the main driver of... Uh, what constitutes the basket of goods, I suppose. Um, it's a really good source of information on what a house, what the average household in Ireland is is spending their money on um, mm-hmm. in terms of their consumer their consumer goods. So that's that's the main basis we use to uh, to update the basket of goods. And as I said, then we 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 know ourselves in the office things that we think should be added or things that we think should be removed. Okay, so there's a, a bit of personal input as well. This is the first time in a few years, isn't it, that you've done this? It is. It's uh, the last time it was re- uh, we had the changing of the basket of goods was uh, December 2016. Um, I suppose the reason it's the usually you'd rebase every five years, but just due to COVID-19, um, there was no household budget survey carried out, uh, so we had no reference. We had no data to, to ba- update the basket of goods. Um, they completed the household budget survey in 2022-2023, which gave us the opportunity then to, to look at our basket of goods and based off the new HBS. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you finally, it, it is interesting, or do you do you find it interesting maybe, it, how things are recording, how the basket of goods is recording with um, boom and bust cycles in Ireland? Yeah, it's, like, it's, it's, it's been a fun process, I must admit, actually working yeah. on this. Because um, it, it, it is, it's a social, it's a social history of, of what the average person in Ireland is spending their money on, and as I say, you you see things like the the gin coming back in, or smart watches and air fryers, just the change in technology. It's 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 really interesting to look at from a statistician's point of view, I suppose. Yeah, without question. And I'd love to throw it out to the public as well. What do you think uh, of the things that you've mentioned? Are you guilty of buying an awful lot of it, or is there something that you buy a lot of that should be in the basket? And then we'll tell Anthony to put it in for next year. Uh, you can let us know to 51551. But Anthony Dawson, statistician in the co- Consumer Price Index area of the uh, CSO, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thanks, Cormac. RTE Radio 1. Direct from Broadway and coming to Dublin this April, The Kite Runner, an outstanding and unforgettable theatrical tour de force. Based on Khaled Hosseini's international best-selling novel, this haunting tale of friendship spans cultures and continents, following one man's journey to confront his past and find redemption. Engrossing and captivating, The Wall Street Journal. The Kite Runner at the Gaiety Theatre from April 2nd to 6th. Tickets available now from gaietytheatre.ie. Entertainment updates on RTE Radio 1. For every kind of driver, there's a Hyundai. Whether it's from our range of fuel-efficient petrol and diesel models, our latest hybrid range, or our family of all-electric models, talk to us and find the Hyundai that's right for you and your family. Visit Hyundai.ie to learn more.
Hyundai. Our family. Designed for yours. Choosing the perfect gift is not easy. You want it to show how much you care and how much you value others. So what if you could give a gift that could fix a broken heart, even save a life? When you leave a gift in your will to the Irish Heart Foundation, you do just that. Please call 01-668-5001 or visit irishheart.ie. So no hearts are broken by preventable heart disease and stroke. The Dublin International Film Festival is back from the 22nd of February to the 2nd of March. Welcoming the iconic Steve McQueen and Isabelle Huppert. Discover new Irish talent. Walk the red carpet at world premieres. Take part in workshops and Q&As. And explore the globe through the international programme. For details and tickets, visit diff.ie. Funded by the Arts Council. RTE. Supporting the arts. Email drivetime at rte.ie. We'll take a quick look at the headlines this evening. The Minister for Media, Catherine Martin, has said she's been assured by RTE's Director-General, Kevin Backhurst, that the €450,000 exit package for the former RTE Chief Financial Officer, Brida O'Keefe, was compliant with the rules and does not need to be reassessed. A man who attacked and robbed a visually impaired man in Dublin and later was involved in a separate aggravated burglary of the home of an elderly widower has been sentenced to 10 years in jail with 18 months suspended. And Israel has sent troops into a hospital in war-torn Gaza, where it said hostages may have been held. RTE Radio 1 Traffic and Travel with Hyundai, home of Ireland's best-selling electric car in January 2024. The all-new Kona Electric, based on the latest published monthly figures. I'm Orla Woods and here's your latest traffic and travel news. Starting with Dublin, there is a broken down lorry on the N7 inbound. That's in the left-hand lane of the flyover at Junction 1A, Newlands Cross. Elsewhere, it's slow in both directions on St. Nessens Road in County Limerick between Dora Doyle and the Avonmore Road. And finally, University Road in Limerick is busy both ways along the lower Newcastle Road. That's your latest traffic and travel news. Sport on RTE Radio 1. John Kenny's here at the Sports News. Yeah, a bit out of breath running up the stairs. Mona McSherry finished third in the semi-final of the 200 metres breaststroke of the World Aquatics Championships in Doha. That's just taken place and will now advance to the final tomorrow in seventh place overall. McSherry was disappointed in her fifth place in the final of the women's 100 breaststroke during the week, but she bounced back this morning to boast a time close to consideration for the Summer Olympics. She was hoping to dip under that time in this evening's semi-finals, while she's already qualified for the 24 Olympic Games in the 100 breaststroke. The 23-year would need to achieve the Olympic qualification time of 2.23.91 to ensure she can swim the 200 breaststroke in Paris. But I'm afraid that time is uh, about a second and a half outside that. 2.25.13, seventh overall, but she has made the final tomorrow, hoping for a better time in that final tomorrow evening. 17-year-old teenager John Short also progressed to the 200 metres backstroke semi-final. That uh, race is about to get underway. He too chasing Olympic qualification. That race due off as a very 
very shortly. The first steps towards the redevelopment of Casewind Park will be taken next week with Ulster GA confirming it will start necessary maintenance and pre-enabling works on the site. The venue which will have a capacity over just over 35,000 upon completion is amongst the venues for the 2028 European Championships. The path towards the redevelopment of the ground unused since 2023 hasn't run smoothly. Delays in rising costs and the Ulster GA has also been seeking a new development developer for the rebuild since November. Crystal Palace manager Roy Hodgson was taken ill during a training session today as Palace were lining up the former Eintracht Frankfurt manager Olivier Glasner to replace him with the Austrian understood to be close to agreeing a deal to take over. Palace were forced to cancel a press conference today as Hodgson was unable to complete the session at the club's training ground in South London when the former England manager felt unwell. He was reported to have required medical treatment in hospital. The Republic of Ireland women's manager Eileen Gleeson has finalised her squad for the upcoming friendlies against Italy and Wales. The squad selection includes defenders Neve Fahey and Aoife Mannion, midfielder Jess Hugh and forward Leanne Kernan who all returned following long-term injuries. There's a first call-up as well for the Wake Forest University forward Emily Murphy, who qualifies through her Dublin-born father. The first game sees Ireland take on Italy in Florence on Friday the 23rd of February before they return to Dublin to host Wales at Tallis Stadium the following Tuesday. Tiger Woods makes his latest return to professional golf today in the Genesis Invitational California, an event that also features Rory McIlroy and Seamus Power. Woods has just begun his first round indeed. McIlroy is off at around 5-8. to eight. And the Irish rugby assistant coach Paul O'Connell has not ruled that Hugo Keegan is out of the Six Nations third round game against Wales at the Aviva Stadium on Saturday week. Keenan picked up a knee injury during last Sunday's win over Italy and has been rehabbing since. He was at today's training session at the High Performance Centre but didn't take part in training. More positive news regarding Gary Ringrose who took part in training today. He's on track for next week. Team captain Peter O'Mahony along with Tyke Furlong and Bunny Aki also trained today. And Georgie Snyman will make his first appearance of the season for Munster when the Village Scarlet in the URC tomorrow evening. More reaction from Mona McSherry making the 200 breaststroke final in our next bulletin. But for the moment, more sport on the RT News app and rte.ie. John, thank you very much indeed. Well, as you've been hearing in the uh, headlines there at half five, the Minister for Media, Catherine Martin, met with the Director General of RT this afternoon and said that she's been re- assured by Kevin Backhurst that the €450,000 payment to the former Chief Financial Officer was compliant with the rules and does not need to be reassessed. Earlier today, the Thonish Emile Martin said the exit package given to Breed O'Keefe should be reassessed. Meanwhile, the DG confirmed that the former executive Rory Coveney, who was Director of Strategy at RTE, was given an exit package when he resigned last year. To discuss this, uh, the ongoing fallout from uh, the uh, latest attendance at the uh, Editors Media Committee yesterday in today's meeting, I'm joined by M.O. Kelly, Chair of the NUJ Dublin Broadcasting Branch, and also by Dr. Roddy Flynn, who's a Associate Professor in the School of Communications at DCU. You're both very welcome uh, to the programme. Um, I might ask you, first of all, uh, M.O. Kelly, based on what we've heard from that meeting uh, between the DG and the, the Minister and, and yesterday's attendance at the Editors Media uh, Committee, um, what is your response? What is the, the response of NUJ members? 
um, I was in the newsroom yesterday, Cormac, and um, the, the committee hearing was up on every screen and everybody's computer screen. And people were working away and trying to listen as best they could. Uh, there was absolute shock at the news of the size of Brida O'Keefe's uh, payout. Um, I know that shock was shared by certainly by people in the room at the hearing and by the public. And that shock has been compounded uh, today. Uh, people are asking above all, why? Why did Brida O'Keefe get such a payout uh, or get any payout? Because we see no rationale. There was no rationale uh, for her getting uh, redundancy. But it seems to be in, cl- in compliance uh, with the rules. It was in cl- compliance with the rules, yes. But in terms of getting a redundancy, when she was not, she was, I mean, the, 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 the position was not being suppressed. There was no reason, there was no justification uh, for, for giving anybody in that situation a payout. That's not to say that it wasn't within the rules of a scheme, but there was no reason for her to get a payout. There was no rationale. There was no saving. Um, and, and people have other questions as well. They want to know what kind of exit package uh, did Rory Coveney get? We know the circumstances were different to his exit. Uh, what about other senior managers? People are in their own areas are saying, well, what about this senior manager left? Did, did he get a payout? Um, did they get exit pay, uh, uh, packages? And if so, how much? And I know a colleague of mine has put those questions uh, to RT in her role as a journalist. Mm-hmm. The response she got was that RT was not in a position to comment further I, because I, of legal reasons. And we well, don't that's think it. that's good enough. I, I was just going to say that those questions were asked, as you know, by politicians yeah. at the Erectus Media Committee yesterday. And uh, the uh, Director General was at po- pains to point out that he got legal advice and the legal advice is that they can't be divulged. We're still unhappy. We still think that is not good enough. And we have Catherine Martin, the minister, uh, today again talking about maximum transparency needed uh, to restore trust. And she presumably was talking about trust outside of the organisation. But the absolute same applies to staff in here. There is a massive uh, trust issue now. People have been expressing their views to me and it's very clear to me that mm-hmm. there, is a, there is a significant... OK, well, on that, I should say that Orti has the, uh, said that the estimated potential tax liability on the voluntary severance payment for the uh, former CFO, Breed O'Keefe, is around €11,000. But a spokesperson for Orti said this is subject to review by uh, Revenue and the DG is to seek updated legal advice to see if details of Rory Coveney and other payments can be made uh, public. Um, I emphasise to the to the DG, says the Minister, that uh, transparency is key here, which is what you say. Uh, you mentioned in previous interviews, Emma, um, that trust is important in RTE. And you said that trust had been damaged in RTE. Do you think it's been repaired or being repaired? There was a repair going on. There was a process going on. People have great faith in Kevin Backhurst. Uh, but the publication of the, the report into these redundancies a few weeks ago um, caused great damage. That created a rift and that rift is widening now. And as I said, people are t- talking to me and expressing their views. It's clear if I can sum up what they're saying is that they're there, there is a credibility gap and it is widening and it's something very serious. It is a problem and it's a problem coming at the worst possible time when we're facing into, you know, absolute transformation ahead of us. Does, um, and that process of transformation was mentioned by the Director General at the meeting yesterday and uh, he expressed faith and confidence in the leadership team that he has to drive that process through with staff. Uh, the staff that you spoke with, the NUJ members, do they have faith and confidence in the leadership team? 
staff do not share that confidence in the way that you expressed it there in terms of looking ahead to the reform and, and that level of confidence. We are not, we are far from convinced that the kind of shenanigans that we've heard about are absolutely in the past. Um, and that is a problem. Now, we heard, we listened, we listened to what Emer Cusick said in the committee. We listened to Kevin Backhurst saying he had confidence in his director of human resources. We, we accept all those bona fides. But trust is very damaged and it's damaged at a, at a b- bad time. And this needs to be addressed in some way or other. Yeah, stay with me, uh, Emma O'Kelly. Dr. Roddy Flynn from the School of Communications at DCU is with me. Uh, how can that trust that is damaged now be repaired, uh, Roddy, in the mil- middle of all of this? I mean, if you'd have asked me a couple of weeks ago, I would have said it was the publication of these reports because that was the whole purpose of these things, that we would bring everything out into the open. Uh, we'd understand where mistakes were made. The mistakes, people with their hands up and or the people who had made the mistakes would be kind of identified as like they're no longer part of the organisation. But things got worse. I mean, in, in I, I think, and, and particularly as a consequence of yesterday, Um because it's, it is very difficult, I mean, without kind of rehashing the same ground, it is very difficult to understand why you can name a figure for one individual. You can't name a figure for two other individuals. I mean, I'm thinking about particularly, so you can name Breed O'Keefe's and you can't name um, Rory Coveney's and Richard Collins. I mean, saying you've got legal advice doesn't really isn't really an explanation if you know what I mean it's just it's just saying that's why but I can't you have say to it, accept what, the, the bona fides of the director general no, no, I, absolutely yeah. I, t- totally but it but it leaves but the point is it still leaves that question kind of floating and the problem obviously up a bit you know if you go all the way back to the start of this which relates to kind of payments around property it was that sort of there was you know uh, an opaqueness around um the, the what what kind of expenditures were occurring that is for whatever reason, that's now ongoing. And I think it's further complicated by the, the statement. I mean, it, it's it's a true statement. This will appear in the annual report in 2023 or for 2023, which we won't see for a long time, it has to be said. But I, if, I mean, even I kind of look at that and go, well, if it's at some stage definitively going to be made available, what you know what 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 difference does it make when it occurs like i i it's it's legally difficult for me to understand what's what, going what on difference there. would it make and, even if it were published now some would say what's done is done <laughs> yeah but we but, but we don't know what's been done that's precisely the point and they that that i mean I, I'm not a pensions lawyer, right? So I so I don't understand the basis upon which um, a payment of four hundred and fifty thousand could be <clears throat> paid out. I mean, I would look at my own pension and I would go. I mean, I'd have rough side, I'd have a rough idea of what um, you know lump sum I would be entitled to at the point at which um, I retire. Um, I look at that basis and then I look at what Breed O'Keefe go and I go, my God, what salary must she have been on? Um, and I'm pretty confident that she can't have been on that salary because she would have to be on a salary that I think is in excess of what well, uh, you, you don't know that. Is currently you, being paid. you don't know that for sure. You're no, only I don't. supposing. So uh, well, let, I'm, let's I'm, let's I'm, keep I'm, it to what we do I'm, know. I'm, for, I'm, for example, so can I ask you this? Um, what do you think? And I'll ask you both this question: What do you think needs to happen now in terms of reform, in terms of future attendance at Edith's media committees? What's to be gained, I suppose, from a further extra- extrapolation or uh, inquisition? of this slow-moving debacle before we move on to the um, the funding model? R- Roddy first, yeah. <laughs> Who wants to start? Yeah. 
<laughs> Look, it's it's the 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 point is, um, as I say, what we came out of yesterday was turns out that there was I, I I get into Donald Rumsfeld territory here, known unknowns, right, and kind of unknown knowns, and we went into yesterday not knowing that we didn't know, um, or because it hadn't been kind of highlighted. Um, the the absence of knowledge about uh, Rory Coveney and, uh, and and Richard O'Keefe, and then we get the fit. Then we get the 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 thing we didn't know about. Um, sorry, uh, Richard Collins rather, yeah. and, uh, and and Rory Coveney, and then we get the figure about um, uh, Rita O'Keefe, and we get some not entirely clear um, explanations um, regarding why kind of emergencies. I thought this was probably okay, or the processes that that, that went through. But I guess that's been answered to some extent, but. Like literally, until every number is in the public domain, I really don't think it is going to go away. And it's 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 not just you know abstract numbers. It's 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 where the license fee okay, is gone. It's where, you just, know, just to basically clarify based something. on what you said there. Um, Richard mm. Collins resigned from RT. I don't think there was a a package, and Geraldine O'Leary took er- Sorry, early retirement. Yeah, yeah, no, no, you're okay. Just to, to clarify, um, can I ask you that question, yeah. Mo Kelly, in terms of what needs to happen now? In what your opinion, happens now? Uh, well, look, I don't think we will ever manage to move forward fully unless we look at the wider context to all this and address the wider context. And the wider context is RTE being starved of public funding for years and years and years, for decades, in fact. And in that context, commercial income became king. It was the holy grail. And it's no accident that if you look, say, at the debacle that was Toy Show, the musical, that grew out of a call for ideas when the organisation was facing a 60 million hole in its Mm -hmm. finances. It was like, give us ideas, we'll grab this one, we'll run with us. And that's where this debacle grew out of. So unless we address not only the the funding model, and I'm glad, I'm really heartened to see that there seems to be some kind of a consensus growing Mm -hmm. around, we need this addressed, but also the amount of funding, RTE, if if politicians really value public service media, as they all say they do, they need to fund it adequately. OK, we'll certainly return to this uh, in the very near future. For the moment, M.O. Kelly, Chair of the NUJ Dublin Broadcasting Branch and Dr. Roddy Flynn of DCU. Thank you both very much indeed. Gurmagat Fishin Orla, now as you heard in the headlines, Israeli forces shelled the Nassar hospital in the southern Gazan city of Khan Yunus in the early hours of today. It comes as Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu continues to vow to press on with a powerful assault on Rafah, where over one million Palestinians are taking refuge. UNICEF's head of the emergency in Gaza is Hamish Young, and he joins me now live from Rafah in uh, southern Gaza. Hamish, you're very welcome to the programme, and we'll talk about Rafah and its predicament in just a second. Uh, but what about the um, assault on the Nasser Hospital, where thousands and thousands of displaced people had been sheltering? Um, what are you hearing? Uh, good evening, Cormac. Um, well, I'm. We're here in uh, in Rafa, and um, we're limited in very limited in where we we can travel. We're not able to get to the NASA hospital, um, so we're pretty much hearing what you're hearing um, that uh, that there was an assault, um, that there were a lot of casualties. Um, um, beyond that, um, we don't have any, um, you know, like additional or inside knowledge because we don't have any access to the area. Mm-hmm. Israel is saying that um, they have intelligence to say that it's um, where some of the hostages' bodies were being held uh, and that their um, action was precise and limited. 
uh, Hamas is saying that it's been catastrophic what's happened in, in uh, Nasser Hospital. It's an example again, Hamish, of of in the early hours of an after an incursion or an, in, an assault of how difficult it is to glean what's happening. Uh, no, I agree, and um, and of course, you know, with with modern um, communications, um, it's 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 sometimes it's often um, people who are actually outside um, the region, the combat area, um, who get information first. Um, the um, because uh, you know some of the 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 journalists, the people who do self-reporting as journalists, can get in there and, and get information out. Well, can I ask you about Rafa, where you are, um, and the, um, the the threat from Israel of a, a, an assault, um, a powerful assault, as Benjamin Netanyahu calls it, despite uh, warnings against such from international leaders. Um, what is a daily reality? Uh, Hamish, for the one million people that are taking shelter there. Okay, that that I can talk about, Cormac, because I live here and I'm uh, I live and work with uh, those people every day. So, first of all, I think it's very important to remember that Rafa um, is a, an average-sized town in Gaza that was hosting or home to a population of about, give or take, two hundred and eighty thousand people before the war. Um, and even then, um, there was really only just enough um, social infrastructure to support that population. Um, there were only just enough hospitals and medical services. There was only just enough water supply. Um, there were only just enough uh, schools, um, this type of thing. Um, then you had an influx of uh, over a million people. Um, we estimate that there was around 1.3 million people um, in, in, in Rafa. Um, and those, of course, are extremely vulnerable people. They're people who have um, tried to escape the fighting um, up in the north, Jabalia and Gaza City. Um, they might have come to places like Khan Yunus and sought refuge there. Then the fighting came to Khan Yunus and they moved again. So the people um, who came to Rafa, some of them moved two or three times. Um, so you've got 1.3 million people, the large majority of them extremely vulnerable already from the from the conflict, trying to survive on an infrastructure that was barely enough for 280,000 mm. people. Um a few lucky people would, would have moved in with friends and relatives into apartments and houses. The vast majority were living are living in uh, really hostile conditions. Lucky ones have a tent um, and many, many um, are just living under makeshift shelters. You know, a couple of bits of timber thrown together with a plastic sheet and a tarpaulin if they're lucky. What about food um, and medicine, Hamish? So on food, because Rafa is uh, is is close to to the border and the entry where um, the World Food Program, um, UNRWA, World Central Kitchen are able to bring food in, um, we probably see just just enough food in in Rafa. Um, there's certainly not enough food uh, in in Gaza or anywhere north of Rafa. Um, but there's nowhere near enough water. Um, water production um, here is at about 15 to 20 percent of what it was before the war. And and again, that was uh, water for 280 odd thousand people. So you've now got uh, 1.3 million people trying to survive on 15 percent of the water supply that was for 280 thousand people. Um, 
And when you so say those, some, these people, you know, and you have described just, it uh, up until now, the, the uh, lack of food and water and medicine and, and uh, conditions, but when you say these are vulnerable people, that's what you're pointing to. Also, is there a spread of disease in that area, given the amount of people in such a, a small area? There is, there is. We're seeing um, um, a big increase in um, particularly diarrheal diseases um, because of the lack of sanitation services. Um, I mean, organisations like UNICEF and other lots of other uni- uh, organisations, the World Health Organisation, MSF, um, we're, we're all doing what we can. Um, UNICEF supporting water trucking. Um, we've brought in uh, tens of thousands of hygiene kits. We've built uh, uh, thousands of uh, emergency latrines. Um, but that's not nearly enough. It's it's not even remotely close. Can I ask and, you? Uh, can, so, yeah, so yeah, can, can I ask you that? You, you've described the, the vulnerability and the difficulty and challenging position people are in. When ben- Benjamin Netanyahu, the, the Israeli Prime Minister, um, he says he, he vows to push ahead with the assault on Rafah, but only, he says, after civilians are allowed to leave the, the battle zone. Um, is that happening as of now? So first, um, I, I, I just say, I, you know, I heard you um, quoting Martin Griffiths earlier on your program. Um, and obviously, you know, I agree with what Martin had to say, that uh, there is no safe place in Gaza. And um, as UNICEF's reported many times, there's absolutely no safe place for children in Gaza. Mm-hmm. Gaza is, is the most dangerous place in the world to be a child right now. Um so there's there's no real viable uh, evacuation um the UN does not uh, ever support forced evacuations anyway um people are leaving voluntarily um but it's important to note these are people one who have somewhere to go perhaps they they perhaps they're going back to a house in uh, Darabella um, um or Nusrat or or another place mm-hmm. perhaps they've got a relative that they can go and stay with Number two, these are people who have the means to move. So they've either got a, a car, they can pay for a ride on the back of a truck, they can even take a donkey cart. I've seen many families packed up with all their possessions and kids strapped to the back of a donkey cart. So grim as that may sound, those are still people with some sort of means. This, this results in or means that the, the people who will be left behind in Rafa, and there'll be hundreds and hundreds of thousands, um, there's 630,000 children here. Uh, still, uh, the vast majority will be left behind. These are the people who have no means whatsoever. They've got nowhere to go um, and they don't have the resources to get there anyway. So this is the very most vulnerable people who will remain behind and will be uh, at risk and, and subject uh, to this uh, this um, attack, ground incursion. And what will, will their fate um, be, been do you afforded- think? Is it is it well, possible for those uh, for that attack to be precise and leave these people uninjured? The evidence to date strongly suggests that it's not. Um, we've seen uh, eight thousand children killed already and thirty thousand uh, civilians killed already. Um, and um, I'm sure uh, you and your listeners uh, have heard already about um, the report that Oxfam published last month, which indicated how much higher the civilian casualty rate is in this conflict as compared to all other uh, uh, conflicts in the in the modern era. Can um, I ask you so, then about the people who have the means, yeah. as you say, to leave the area, to leave Rafa? Would it be sure or could they be assured of their safety? 
They cannot be assured of their safety because there's active combat going on um, all up and down the, the Gaza Strip. You reported the uh, the attack in uh, NASA Hospital. There's active conflict in uh, in Khan Yunus. There's active conflict in uh, uh, Darabella. Uh, there's still ongoing conflict in in Gaza City. Um, so there's 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 no safe place, and there's certainly no safe place for children in Gaza. This is why um, you know UNICEF, um, uh, all of the United Nations, and many many other countries. Um, have called for um, a halt to hostilities. We've appealed to the is- Israelis to not attack Rafa. And really, the only solution is a comprehensive and permanent ceasefire. Uh, and can I ask the children you finally, of Gaza deserve that. Can, Please. Can I ask you finally, Hamish, uh, if you think that the there's a possibility of a ceasefire before any assault on Rafa? Well, we remain hopeful. Um, you know, we follow the news about the talks in Cairo, um, and other places just like you do. Um, quite a few people ask me, um, you know, when there's a, a breakdown in the, uh, in the talks, do you give up hope? I say absolutely not. We remain hopeful. Um, and I point to, um, you know, the discussions, the talks that were going on in uh, in Doha before the, uh, the last humanitarian pause in November. There were stops and starts and breakdowns and restarts. Um, and then eventually we got uh, we got that. Okay, well, look, let's leave it at that. Uh, Hamish Young, uh, head of emergency in Gaza in Rafa uh, from the uh, UNICEF agency. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. 